0: Upon us, the Holy Spirit. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Let us pray. Almighty God, we gather this morning to hear of your steadfast love, for we put our trust in you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Come among us by your spirit, make your word known to us, teach us the way we should go, comfort our hearts and minds, for to you do we lift up our soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. First hymn is number 92, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Acknowledge your sin to God and do not hide your iniquity. Confess your transgressions to the Lord, for he forgives the guilt of our sin. And so let us pray and confess our sin together. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord. And your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of our youth or our transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember us, for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, pardon our guilt, for it is great. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us, that he did not respond to us because of something we did that required him to love us and show his grace to us and forgive our sins, but he acted out of his own will and his own purpose in Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel, that in Christ we are truly forgiven. And so, brothers and sisters in the Lord, I do declare to you that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. And this is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. Children of God, the scripture says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And it's also written that God deems it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Through Jesus Christ, we know that God is at work in all things to bring about his good purposes. We often have to be reminded of that. God's word reminds us. You were reminded here in worship. God has not abandoned his creation because of sin. He's not abandoned you. He's not abandoned his creation because of sin and evil. In fact, he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to defeat sin and redeem this world. We Christians know that the hand of God is at work in everything that happens. We, again, have to be reminded of that, but we can be confident of that, even if we don't always understand how. We call this God's providence. There is also, this is also true when we are wronged, that God is working out his purpose. He doesn't cause the evil and the sin and the wrong that's done to us, but he is able, he is greater than it, and he's able to work his purpose out even when there are things done wrong to us. Unjust acts will be committed. Some of these acts may even be violent and horrible, and we need to call them those things, and not try to just sweep them away because uh, we do believe God's at work in them, but They are wrong, and there needs to be justice done. Our faith may be shaken by these things. In such cases, remember that God has not ceased to be Lord of heaven and earth. Remember that God stands opposed to all injustices and wrongs that are committed, and he will vindicate the righteous. God sees the injustice that's done to you. He sees the injustices that have been done to you in the past. And he has revealed his condemnation of these things in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Being the Lord of heaven and earth, he will judge all the injustices, even the ones we've done. He will judge them all, and he will requite the unjust. But for us who are in Christ, whose sins are forgiven, who are set right with God, we can be confident that he will, he will declare us righteous and forgive us our sin, but declare us righteous in Christ. When we suffer injustice and wrongs, let us say with the psalmist, But I trust in thee, O Lord. Thou art my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ. And let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 667, God is my strong salvation.
1: strong salvation, what foe have I to fear? In darkness and temptation, my light, my help is near. Though hosts encamp around me, firm to the fight I stand, whatever
0: Let us pray together for those in need in this world. Let us pray. Great and mighty God, our Heavenly Father, as day follows night, as we have risen this morning to worship you after a night of sleep and rest, or maybe not so much rest, we know that you are faithful even as day follows night. And now your faithfulness is fulfilled in Jesus Christ grace that gives so much to us, and peace that reaches across your whole creation. We thank you for your blessings to each one of us here. In Christ, you have given us the hope of glory, the truth of all things, and we know that we are your holy possession, O Father, declared by your word and sealed by Jesus Christ. Hear now our thanksgiving and petitions this day for all Christians and for this world. O Lord, who helps us who are weak, we pray for all those in need, the homeless, the hungry, the poor, those who are attacked, children without parents, children who are unborn, and those who have lost loved ones. We pray for them to be protected, given care, and not pushed aside in our society. Give us the grace to come to the aid and defense of the weak. Here are prayers for those who come to mind. For the leaders of this land, we pray. For Joe Biden, our president, Gary Peters, and Debbie Stabenow, our senators, Gretchen Whitmer, our governor. We pray for the officials who do, do govern us that they would be honest, conscientious, humble, just, and fair. That you would expose foolish plans and deceptive messages that come from those who would rule over us. And as you are just, may evil be punished and good honored. We pray that you would restrain people's selfish motives and lust for power. Give peace and justice to our cities, and we also pray for just governments in Mali, Afghanistan, Ukraine, China, the United States, North Korea, Iran, Mexico, and Syria. We pray you would stop acts of terror. Here are our prayers for our nation and others in this world. Blessed Savior, for your holy people gathered around the world, on this day, the Lord's day, we raise our petitions to you for them. Guard and keep those who are isolated from the rest of your church so that they may continue in Christian faith and Christian worship and Christian love of Christ. Keep them in fellowship with us by the bond of your spirit. Give grace and peace in Christ so that they hold fast to the word of your salvation. Hear our prayers for the Christian churches in very dangerous places in Iraq, in Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Cuba, Turkey, and other such places. We pray also you would bless the church's missionary work throughout this world so that it is intent upon proclaiming the good news of your kingdom. We pray that we would send out sufficiently trained men to rightly teach the gospel of Christ and that you would stir up and motivate young people, to want to aspire to being missionaries in this world. And we pray that those who are serving you would mature in the knowledge of Christ. We pray for churches and their members to mature in humility and charity, and we now think of the missionaries and churches in Uganda and some of our missionaries, James Fulkert, Mark Van Essendelf, Charles Jackson, their families, and others. Hear our prayers for the church and its mission in this world. Father, for our needs we do also pray for your beloved people in this congregation and those we know who struggle with weakness and temptation, sickness, grief, and discouragement. Heal the sick and help the needy. We pray for our members, for Terry and Eduardo, for Fawn and Jeff, for our friends Becky, Mrs. Mesner, Judy, Tom, Phil, Josh, Bill, Angie, Karen, and others we name to you in silence. We thank you for hearing our prayers and giving health and work and comfort and strength of faith, perseverance, and protection. We thank you for all these things, and we pray you would receive our thanks, O God. O Lord, we do remember that you hear our prayers. For not long ago, we were praying that you would stop the COVID virus from spreading as it was, and now it seems to be on the level of any other sickness, and we thank you that you have weakened it and given us um, the ability to continue on. Bless this church and give us growth by your word so that we may persevere in the new life of Christ and be his witnesses. Unto you, almighty God, by your spirit, who helps us as we commit our prayers to you in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
2: Please be seated. And we join together now in praying for uh, the illumination uh, of the Spirit as we read the Word. Please join. Oh, Heavenly Father, we praise you once again, as we do every week, for giving us your Word. We thank you that you are not uh, a mysterious God, a God who only makes himself known to a select few um, that you have not hidden yourself uh, entirely, but that you have given us your word for our edification. Um, we join together now in, in reading that word. We pray that you would open our hearts, and as only you can, uh, prepare us to hear that word. May our minds and souls be uh, soft soil, and may you plant these seeds of wisdom within us, and may we understand what we hear. and uh, bear it with us for, uh, for many days to come. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Our first reading today uh, comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verses 29 to 39. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged, and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temples and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate, He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined Purified and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers. Or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. Our Psalter response this morning comes from Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call. My Lest, if you be silent to me, I those
3: who
2: to the Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I lift up my hands, do not drag me off with the wicked, the who speak peace with their neighbors, and according to the evil of their deeds, give to them to the of their render them their due reward. Or the work of his hands. Blessed be the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart exalts. The Lord is the strength of his people. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Revelation in chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Finally, our gospel reading this morning comes from the gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 14 through 23. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it will not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days... No human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. The word of the Lord.
0: When our belief in God shrinks, so does our belief in evil. Not that the one is required of the other, but It seems that there's just a lack of any sense of something beyond us, whether that's God or evil. We've been living in a scientific, rationalistic culture that tries to dismiss evil as evil. Now, there has been a lot of superstition in the world, and modernism has reacted to that superstition. There's even been superstition within Christianity I'm reminded of that every time I see a car pass by me with a little pendant of St. Christopher hanging from the rearview mirror. That's the saint, the patron saint of travel, and it's, I think, put there by many um, people just simply to, to kind of be a superstitious way to keep them safe as they travel. Superstition is a different problem than evil. Modern society has ridiculed superstition as foolish and stupid. It doesn't, it's not reasonable, they say. But it has also tried to explain away evil. It provides rational explanations for the monstrous things that happen in history. I read a fascinating book about sieges of cities in the medieval age in Europe. An army would line up in front of a city and give it a chance to surrender and hand over the city to the commander of the army. Those cities usually had walls around them back in the medieval period. If the city refused, the leaders of the city refused to hand it over, the army would encircle the city and besiege it, sometimes for several years. Even if a city resisted, most often it eventually gave up or the army broke in. The result was usually horrific plunder and death. The author of the book argues that these armies were motivated by hunger, the daily standard ration for the soldiers was something like a pint of beer, half a loaf of bread, and if it was available a piece of bread, uh, a piece of mutton. This was for an army marching 20 miles a day, carrying heavy equipment, sometimes engaged in physical combat. So you think about that, that's not a lot of calories. According to the book, the reason the sieges and plundering of cities was so gruesome, in spite of laws, there were laws against such things or to regulate how how cities could be conquered. It was because the soldiers were basically starving. And so they had more and more of a desperation to break into the city and to get whatever they could. And, of course, any of the food that was there, anything that they could use to sell and buy food, any of that, so the book does not discuss, it discusses the sieges in terms of starvation, gives that as not the only reason, but one reason for the horrific events that happen in these cities. But it does not discuss the sieges on the level of evil. And I thought that was interesting as I read it. Psychological interpretations are used to explain terrible and cruel leaders. Psychological interpretations. For example, the Kim dynasty Kim Jong-un and the different Kim uh, generations that are in North Korea, that dynasty of tyrannical rulers, grandfather, father, now son, uh, or grandson, is said to be megalomaniac. They're said to be megalomaniacs or paranoid, and that's the way they're explained. If you look up on Wikipedia, look up the the article on Hitler, it will tell you that he has been associated the, the, he's been linked to psychological disorders like schizophrenia, bipolar, psychopath, psych, psychopathy. Biological explanations are used to interpret mass murderers. It's said that they have chemical imbalances in their brains or abnormalities in their chromosomes. And then, of course, there are ideological interpretations that have been given for the Soviet government that continued the Nazi death camps in Germany after World War II. For seven more years, those camps ran just like they did under the Nazis, and the Soviets were the ones running them. And, of course, then under Stalin, you had the gulags where millions of people died. And so those are just kind of written off – or not written off, but defined by ideological interpretations. That's communism. That's what it does. That's totalitarianism. Secular society pushes evil out of the picture. There have been a few like Hannah Arndt, and others that have, have recognized that evil inexplicably is part of these things as well. But very often it's given other reasons, the evil that happens in this world. Well, the New Testament is full of a style of writing called apocalyptic. There was Jewish and Christian apocalyptic writing and these create these writings create giant pictures, giant pictures of unseen forces in history, things on a level that cannot just be seen with our eyes. And there were writings that were Jewish and Christian, not just Christian. It's an enigmatic style. In other words, it's, it can be a little bit dense or hidden. It's full of images and symbols taken from the Old Testament. And it's not rationalistic, but that does not mean that it's not true in what it is showing us. It puts history into a different framework, if you will, than modernism. Modernism over here puts these horrific events into its little framework, and then apocalyptic writing puts it into a different framework. One of the major themes in apocalyptic writing is evil and God. Second, Esdras is a Jewish apocalyptic writing credited to Ezra. And it's from, uh, from the first century, and it puts evil in an apocalyptic frame with God. Listen to a few verses of what the angel of the Lord says to Ezra in that writing. It says, At that time shall friends fight one against another like enemies, and the earth shall stand in fear with those that dwell therein. The springs of the fountains shall stand still, and in three hours they shall not run. Whosoever remains from all these that I have told you shall escape, And see my, that is God's salvation, and the end of your world. For evil shall be put out, and deceit shall be quenched. As for faith it shall flourish, corruption shall be overcome, and the truth, which has been so long without fruit, shall be declared. So you see what it's doing. It's Jewish, but it is putting evil in relationship to God and painting this much bigger picture of of, uh, what's going on in the world. Revelation. Revelation is also an apocalyptic writing. We heard one of our readings is from Revelation this morning. And it tells a couple of stories about evil and God in chapter 12. We heard one of them. The other story is of a dragon and a woman with child. And it says, "...the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child, that he might devour her child when she brought it forth. She brought forth a male child, one who is to, be, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron." But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has, has a place prepared by God in which to be nourished for 1,260 days. So you can hear in this style of writing the, the language that's a little bit puzzling, and yet as Christians we begin to think, this is talking about Mary and Jesus, right, and, and Satan, uh, Satan's attack, The book of Revelation, because it is apocalyptic literature, has several word pictures of evil. It has stories, and then it has word pictures. It has a word picture like the beast rising out of the sea. And the ancient serpent, the devil, Satan, bound for a thousand years, thrown into the pit. These are painting pictures for us. Apocalyptic writing does the opposite of what our modern secular culture does with evil. It paints it big. It doesn't try to dismiss it and shrink it down to nothing. It paints it large. That's what apocalyptic writing does. In Jewish and Christian apocalyptic literature, evil is great. Jesus picks up on something that Daniel says in our lesson today from Mark. Jesus picks up the abomination of desolation. The word abomination carries the Hebrew meaning of something detestable to and rejected by God. Not just something that's wrong or offends God, but detestable. It's used for things that are evil. Evil is detested and rejected by God. Our three scripture lessons this morning from Daniel, Mark, and Revelation are about the evil in this world and the greatness of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. And before you can understand the reading from Daniel, you need to know some basic history of what Antiochus IV did in Jerusalem in 167 BC. Just basic history. You're probably wondering, as you listen to the Daniel reading, what's going on here? Well, this is what's kind of standing behind it. Antiochus IV was a Greek general who ruled the Seleucid Empire. He took the title Epiphanes, so he was known as Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means manifestation of God. So Antiochus Epiphanes presented himself as more than just a general or a king. He claimed to be divine. Antiochus decided to make sure that Palestine and Jerusalem were loyal to him. And the way he did this was by setting up a religion to himself, <clears throat> since he claimed to be the manifestation of Zeus. He sent his troops to Jerusalem. And they camped outside of the city, showing respect to that city as a sacred temple city. Temple cities were not supposed to be, uh, they're supposed to be uh, bypassed by armies back in in those days. So he presented respect for the city by just simply camping around it, claiming to be protecting the city. Then in 167 BC, Antiochus arranged for a military parade outside the city walls on the Sabbath on the north wall of Jerusalem. He knew the Sabbath was a day of rest for the Jews and they would not be as prepared for an attack. Suddenly, his troops marched into the city by surprise and occupied a fortified tower that was later called the Antonia um, back in the days of Herod. Once Antiochus took control of Jerusalem, he commanded the observances of the Jewish law to cease, stop doing things in Jewish ways. Stop doing things according to the Torah, according to the law of God. And he commanded that the ceremonies of the new religion, of this new Greek religion, would be in, uh, were to be instituted. There's another Jewish writing called 1 Maccabees, and it says the Jews fled to the hills after the desecration of their city. An altar of Zeus was set up on top of the Jewish altar of sacrifices in the temple. So think about you know, in a temple, a big, large room where they would meet for worship, the, the altars up front. On top of that altar, Antiochus had his men set up an altar to Zeus. And interestingly, the pagan sacrifices, the sacrifices the Greeks would be offering to Zeus on that altar, um, were offered on the 25th of every month, starting with the 25th of December. That was the birthday of Antiochus. Don't go home and feel like you have to. Throw all your Christmas ornaments away. But that's when he wanted it to start. The period of this abomination, because that's what it was, evil was being, uh, or false worship was being set up in the very temple of God on top of the old altar. And so this period of abomination was three years, according to 1 Maccabees chapter 4 which is represented as a period of three and a half years or a half a week of years in Daniel chapter 7. Such altars were built in other parts of Judea as well. It wasn't just in Jerusalem. But of course, that was where the temple was, so that was the big one. But there were other altars built in, uh, around Judea of doing the same thing, making off- offerings to, these, to, the, to Antiochus and the Greek gods. At the same time, the Jews who were spread out, who were diaspora Jews living outside of Palestine in Syrian cities, were forced to take part in state religious practices as well. So Antiochus is trying to subdue the Jews. You will worship me. You will follow me. You will do what I tell you to do. Forget about your God. Besides sacrifices to Zeus, there were feasts to Dionysius, which would have involved the sacrifice of pigs. So pigs, of course, were a forbidden food for the Jews, and those were, would have been the things offered for sacrifice on these altars. The book of Daniel writes about this historical event and calls what Antiochus IV did in the temple the abomination of desolation. Now, as you can imagine, this was an enormously catastrophic event in the life of Israel. And a few years later, the Maccabees, the family of a Jewish priest, began a revolt against the Greeks, and eventually the famous Judas Maccabeus regained Jerusalem and rededicated the altar to the God of Israel in the temple for Jewish worship. So the Maccabees were able to push the the Greeks out of Jerusalem, and the war continued for quite a while in Palestine, but at least they, they were able to accomplish that. And what Judas did was counted as one of the monumental events in the history of Israel. It was even designated a feast day, the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah. So there are still Jewish people today. It's still a, a celebration in December for the Jews today. The book of Daniel refers to the, these events, and I've just told it to you as, as much as I can. It's a simple history but the book of daniel puts them into the framework of prophetic writing daniel's a prophet he's writing in a certain style we have got to pay attention to the style of writing in the bible and there are different kinds of style of writing and this is a daniel writes in a prophetic style he puts it into that frame this frame writes about what god is doing in the world and presents history in relation to god Daniel sets the historical event of what Antiochus IV did in the temple of Jerusalem into the story of God's clash with evil in this world. And this is why our reading from Daniel says the king spoke astonishing things against the God of God. See, that's being included or or being set into the story. Verse 36, the king spoke astonishing things against the God of gods. And then verse 32 says the faithful are the ones who know their God and stand firm and take action. So that's the first story, and that's sort of the background to, to what our reading in Daniel. The second story is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and you need to know that to understand what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 13, the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Jesus follows Daniel by setting it into the framework of evil in God's action. So here's the simple story of what happened in in, uh, the middle of the first century in Jerusalem. In that century, there was a strong movement among the Jews in Palestine for national independence from Rome. They were the zealots, um, the sicarii. They they would carry knives in their cloaks and walk around the streets, and some of the more radical ones would walk up to a Roman soldier and thrust the knife into the soldier to take him out. So they were assassins, uh, some of them, and they were stirring up this whole uh, desire for independence, national independence. In 66 AD, the Roman general Titus marched his troops into Judea and surrounded Jerusalem. The Romans laid siege to the city, and it fell in 70 AD. The city was razed to the ground. The temple was desecrated. According to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian who lived in the first century, the soldiers of Titus set up their standards, their their banners that represent each legion and, and had a religious significance as well, set up their standards in the temple and sacrificed to them, acclaiming Titus as emperor. It was another great evil, such as what Antiochus did in the temple. The Romans destroyed the temple and left the city in ruins. There's an arch standing today, I've seen it, in the ancient center of Rome that is dedicated to Titus. It's called the Arch of Titus, not very creative, and it's located on the old procession route through Rome. On it are the accomplishments. This is what they did with these arches. They would have abbreviations or symbols or or just pictures um, of, of the person it's dedicated to. And so there are the accomplishments of Titus, including the sack of Jerusalem. One of the panels shows a menorah. It's distinctly there. I looked at it distinctly there, a menorah being carried out with the plunder from the temple. Jesus brings Daniel's abomination of desolation. He quotes Daniel, brings it forward to the destruction of Jerusalem. In verse 14 he says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The abomination of desolation is evil. Now we must not miss what Jesus does with the phrase abomination of desolation. It's a neuter noun. In these languages, like Greek um, or Hebrew, other languages, nouns will have a feminine ending or a male ending. And so this one, or a neuter ending, this one has a neuter ending. But Jesus attaches it to a person. Look at that. What I mean is that for Daniel, the abomination was the pagan sacrifices on the temple altar. That's what the abomination was there. Jesus makes the abomination a person. This is what he says. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be standing. And that's what Titus did in the temple in 70 AD. For Jesus, evil can be embodied in a person or a society. It can be embodied one way or the other. Evil can capture the mind and corporate life of a society, it can also be in the flesh. It's not wrong to call Hitler evil, who had millions of innocent people killed. It's not wrong to call Stalin evil who had millions more killed, or Mao, who instigated the starvation and murder of millions of Chinese, or John Shivington, who you've probably not heard of, who massacred a camp of Cheyenne and Arapaho Indians in Colorado, including men, uh, including women and children, about 500. It's not wrong to call ISIS evil as it persecutes and kills Christians and many other kinds of people. Those are embodiments of evil. Evil is great in this world, and it can be embodied. It's not just an idea floating around in the the air. Furthermore, Jesus gives some indication that this evil would also manifest, manifest itself in the future. In other words, it was not all exhausted with the evil sacrifices on the altar during the days of Antiochus IV. If it was, that was the exo- if that was the limit and the full meaning of the abomination of desolation, then he wouldn't have carried it forward to what happened in 70 AD. Nor was evil all exhausted when Titus stood in the temple. Great evil will also come in the future. Jesus warns his disciples that false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead us astray from God. That's evil also. But Jesus does not let the evil sit at the level of historical events. He doesn't just keep it at the level of simple history. He brings it into relation in relationship to God. So verse 20, Jesus says of Mark, Jesus says, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. What Daniel did and Jesus did in setting evil over and against God is vividly expressed in the apocalyptic language found in the New Testament, like the story of the battle in heaven and with the dragon or Satan thrown down to earth. And it is a vivid story, isn't it? A vivid story with the dragon and the angels and the Lamb of God. It talks about the dragon or the devil thrown down to earth and deceiving the whole world. But then there's that voice from heaven that says, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. Even though the dragon is active in the world, so is the Lamb of God, and the church conquers the dragon by the power of Christ and by its testimony to him. Now, this language is a bit enigmatic, but it sets evil in relationship to God in a very, very high level, in a very, um, very, very bold framework. So in each of our texts this morning, God does not let evil continue. And each of our texts talks about evil as a great thing in this world, but that God is greater. Evil is great, but God is greater. Apocalyptic language moves evil up from this mundane and shrunken explanations that are in our world to the level of God. Evil is terrible, and it cannot be explained away with science or calling it superstition. It's bigger than that. Evil would be the end of us us if it were not for God, but God is in control of evil. He's not the source of evil, but he rules over it and is still able to accomplish his good purposes. God is 100% opposed to evil in this world and he's taken action against it in Jesus Christ. Jesus struck a fatal blow to evil when he died on the cross. He did not just bear the punishment of God for our sin. He did that, but he did more than that. He delivered a mortal wound to evil and now its days are numbered. Instead of evil going on and on in this world, it will come to an end. It will come to an end at the final judgment when Jesus shall return and judge the world and cast evil into hell forever. Jesus says as much in our Mark text, And if the Lord had not shortened the days, no human being would be saved. God does that with the fall of Jerusalem, and he does that with evil in general in this world. God shortens the days of evil with Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews 2 says in in, in in essence, Jesus partook of our human nature that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. So God is totally opposed to evil and brings it to an end in Jesus Christ. And now the end of evil is being rehearsed in the history of this world over and over again. The world's still corrupted by sin. Evil has not been removed from the world yet. This will not happen until Jesus Christ returns. Consequently, even though the death blow has been struck to evil, evil still thrashes about tempting, deceiving, and breaking what is good. I, uh, when I was writing this, I thought of an example. I didn't put it in here, but I thought of the example of a story I heard <clears throat> out in western Kansas, which has a lot of rattlesnakes. The people out there hate snakes, and, of course, they don't like rattlesnakes. So when they see one on the road, they run over it, smash it. I am sort of the opposite. I like snakes. Um, I want to save them, so I'm out there trying to get them off the road. They don't always cooperate. Um, that's another story. But um, they, when, the, when they run over the snakes, they're trying to kill them, but they want to collect the tail and the head, the rattle and the head. So the story is that the guy ran over one, and uh, was excited because he, he was laying there. Um, and he went to cut the head off, and it bit him. It got him. Because their nerves are still active, there's still, the, there's still reflexes going on with the snake. It takes a while for it to actually just totally be lifeless. And so he got bit and had to go into the, um, into the hospital, It's kind of like that with evil. Evil, the death blow has been struck, but it's still thrashing about, still tempting, deceiving, breaking what is good. And evil is still embodied by people today. George Weigel talks about going to a church conference in Salem, Massachusetts, where the famous witch trials took place in the 17th century. Businesses looking to make a buck and people who are drawn to evil have opened shops capitalizing on the history of witchcraft in Salem. And Weigel makes an astute observation about evil and its infiltration into this world. He kind of uses a metaphor for that. By giving into evil or outright pursuing it, such as in Salem, Massachusetts, we create cracks in this world through which evil slips in. It's like making cracks in the earth and these noxious vapors come rising out of it. So it is with evil. And the more people breathe the vapors of evil, the more it fills them up. It's not an innocent thing. If we start being attracted to evil, looking out, looking for it, going after it, it's a dangerous thing and it'll fill you up. The good news is Jesus frees us from evil just like he freed the people in the Gospels who were possessed by the demons. They were possessed by evil spirits, and he freed them from it, and so he frees us. Every time someone is converted to Christ, the defeat of evil is played out. But the defeat of evil is also rehearsed on the stage of history. Embodied evil comes forth, it causes great harm, and then is defeated, evil overcome by God. Now, we might think on the simple history level, oh, our armies defeated it. Oh, it was a fluke of, of some storm in, in the ocean that destroyed that, that naval uh, army or naval fleet that was coming over. We might give it those kinds of explanations. Sure, that's true as far as it goes. But God defeated it. Evil is overcome by God. There are obvious examples of this, like the evil of Nazism that was defeated the evil of slavery in this country, which was stopped, and more recently, the evil of abortion on demand that was overturned. It doesn't usually happen instantly as soon as the evil shows itself, nor is it perfectly expunged from this world. That will only happen when Jesus returns and there's the final judgment. However, the rehearsal for the end of evil is played out over and over again in this world. As evil rises up, it ends up being brought down and, and, and um And uh, defeated. And in Christ, Christ, we are part of this great rehearsal of God defeating evil. We're part of it. We're brought into that, up to that level. Each of our scripture readings this morning gives us a part in the playing out of evil and Jesus defeating of it in this world. Daniel says, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. In Mark, Jesus warns us so we are not caught unprepared for evil when it stands up. And Revelation says the church conquers the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of testimony. See, this isn't just a rehearsal that we're watching take place in in the, the way history is working out and God's work in history. We're in it as Christians. Here are some ways we are part of the rehearsal of God's defeat of evil. Calling evil, evil. That's just a simple one. Calling evil, evil. Don't follow our culture that is secular and, sh- and shrunken. It's, it's a small box. It might have a lot of truth in it about science and, and the way we reason about things, but it, it shrinks life down to a small box. That's what's so great about apocalyptic writing. It brings it back out into a big picture. So call evil, evil. Don't simply call it mental illness or something like that. There may be mental illness involved, but evil is evil. We must be careful to properly identify evil and not confuse it with the things we personally do not like. And I've heard a lot of that. I personally don't like this happening or this policy of the government. That doesn't mean it's evil. It's easy to mix up our dislike of certain things with evil, so we need to be careful about that. Evil is detested by God, and he rejects it, so that's where we're going to begin to understand what evil is. The Word of God helps us identify what's evil. From Scripture, we learn that evil undoes God's creation. It undoes it. Here are a few examples. Evil takes life rather than gives it. Evil tries to stop the worship of God rather than allow it, maybe by creating false worship with false Christs and false prophets. Evil turns people into objects to be used rather than individuals to be loved and cared for. Now, we also participate in the rehearsal of Christ's end of evil by opposing it, not just calling evil evil, but by opposing it. There are priests who refuse to cooperate with the drug cartel leaders at risk of their own lives, and this is a very good example of what I'm saying. They're opposing the evil that's happening, rampant, very horrible evil with the drug cartels in Mexico, and they're refusing to cooperate, or the Christians in Akron, Ohio, Ohio, who help draw women away from the traffickers who run them. Or our soldiers who fight to stop abominable killing of civilians in the Middle East. The Christians among them are participating in what God is doing to stop uh, rehearsing the end of evil in this world. Now most of all, these are important opposing evil um, Calling evil, evil. But most of all, we can tell people that even though evil is real, God brings it to an end with Jesus Christ. Isn't that the most important thing? That he brings it to an end. I think perhaps, and this is just a speculation, but I think many people in our society don't want to recognize evil and dismiss it so quickly because they don't know what to do with it. They don't know it's scary. It's, It's a huge threat. What do we do about that? Well, we have good news. God brings it to an end with Jesus Christ. And with that gospel, people then might be able to start calling evil evil and being able to to recognize it and then be thankful that God has done something about it in Jesus Christ and trusting him to be the end of it. Because without Christ, there is no end. As you follow Christ in this world, you are part of a much bigger drama than this drama that we call sacred and secular in our society. You are part of the rehearsal of the end of evil in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have delivered us from the dominion of sin and evil and brought us into the kingdom of your Son. And we pray that as by his death he defeated evil, so by his power may we oppose all evil and give faithful testimony to him. Who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith with the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth of all things visible and invisible and in one Lord Jesus Christ the only begotten son of God begotten of his father before all worlds god of god light of light very god of very god begotten not made being of one substance with the father through whom all things were made who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the virgin mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, we acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 670, If Thou But Suffer, God, to guide Thee. Made a promise to us. He said, I will not leave you desolate, I will come to you. Yet in a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. The Apostle Paul writes the words that have been handed down in the church from the meal that Jesus instituted, and Paul gives the institution to the church. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And we've heard about evil in this world, and evil can cause problems for the church as well. Uh, not necessarily that it always is coming from evil, but even our sin can, can be a problem in the church. There are threats to the community of Christ, and we can see this right in the institution of the Lord's Supper as Judas is sitting at the table with Jesus. And the story goes that he, he left and um, made his deal with, with the um, leaders, in, in, uh, the Jewish leaders. So there are many dangers, and they are serious dangers. They will destroy the church if it's not for Jesus Christ protecting us. But he is, in this meal, he assures us that he is our Lord, that he is victorious over sin, and he will not let the powers of evil destroy the church. The Word of God says, God has disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them triumphing over them in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears you also will appear with him in glory. With faith in Christ and by the power of his grace, we now love one another and we look to the interests of others and we oppose evil and promote what is good. With faith in Christ and by the power of his grace, we do not return evil for evil, but we bless others and are zealous for what is right. We should always remember that if evil comes to us, if we respond with evil, we're just accelerating the evil. We don't want to do that. All who have been baptized and profess faith in Christ and are communicant members of the Christian church are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. As you accept this gracious invitation to the Lord's table, you confirm that you are trusting Jesus Christ alone as your Savior from sin. You're endeavoring with all your heart by the power of God's grace to live with love and concern for your fellow Christians with whom you'll be eating and drinking. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for our salvation and new life in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give Him thanks and praise. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, for all your blessings known to us and those that are unknown, we give you thanks. We thank you for creating us in your image, creating us good good providing all that we need to live in your creation for ruling over the nations of this world. But mostly we are bound to praise you for your great love with which you have drawn us to yourself in Jesus Christ and made us to sit in heavenly places with him. Truly he is our peace, he is the one who reconciles us to you, the one through whom our sin is forgiven, and we are brought back to you. And so with all the host of heaven, we worship and magnify your glorious name, forevermore praising you, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of the majesty of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Most gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's once offering up of himself upon the cross, we commemorate now before you, and we pray you to bless and sanctify us along with these, the gifts of the bread and the cup which are set before us on this table. We pray that you would set us apart along with them that we may receive by faith Christ crucified for us, and so feed upon him that we may be made one with him and with each other. And in union with Christ's offering for us, we offer ourselves, our souls, our bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. We ask you mercifully to accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, not on its own merit, because we make it in the name of Jesus Christ through him. And in fellowship with all the faithful in heaven and on earth, we pray you to fill us, in us, the, fulfill in us the purpose of your redeeming love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be the glory and the praise, both now and forever. And together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. I you are the branches apart from me, you can do nothing. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat. Let us pray. Father of Light, in whom there is no change or shadow of turning, who does give us every good and perfect gift, and has brought us to birth by the word of truth, by Your Son Jesus Christ. Grant that we may be a living sign of that kingdom, where Your whole creation will be made perfect in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number two seventy-five. The strife is o'er; the battle done. the Son and the Holy Spirit be upon you all.
2: Please be seated, and good morning to you all. Um, uh, I guess for announcements this week, I don't have a ton, but I will start with the Lawrence Tech, um, uh, I guess, meeting. Would you like to talk about that, or I can repeat what we've already covered? Um,
0: So that's Thursday, and I'm going to be gone for this week on vacation. My wife, Heidi, is going to sit at the table, because she loves college students, and uh, interact, (laughs) But we're gonna. We have a um, information table at their um, information event on campus Thursday from twelve to two. Please be praying about this. I know it's a new thing, so maybe it's not locked into your mind. But we need prayer for this. Basically, what we're we're telling the students we we want to offer the prayer. I'm going to be going every week Wednesdays from twelve to two. I think I put that in the bulletin, and I will be sitting at a table. And if someone comes by I'd like prayer, it's going to be delicate for how I turn that into a good Christian prayer with them because some of them may not be Christians and they might be coming for all different reasons why, you know, for whatever they want, maybe to test us to see what we believe about something. So we need prayer um, that we can handle this the right way. Um, But I'm excited about it. And the information is on Thursday and then the actual um, prayer times will be 12 to 2 on Wednesdays, every Wednesday when school's in session. So that's what's happening. We have posters made up. Chris Tobias helped put up some snazzy posters. We've had a couple of people in the church do some other literature and handouts. And um, we're not trying to make it complicated, but it'll it'll be a way to, to show them where our church is. Maybe they'll start coming here for worship, some of them,
2: and you will get involved. So that's the plan. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Having uh, not a, a ton of other things to uh, talk about, I will just highlight uh, ongoing things that we do uh, kind of constantly, but um, to uh, to remind you, um, we do have our diaconal offering as next week, and I uh, encourage you to continue to be um, supportive uh, of each other in that way. We know that um, you know even with the kind of economic uh, turmoil that we hear about every day. Um, We know that this is a chance for uh, us Christians to stand out and uh, do things in love. We know that the Lord honors both those who who give in abundance and also who give out of their poverty. And so please um, uh, continue to to assist us in... um, and uh... taking care of our own and also uh... we still are collecting food for the uh... for the pantry um, and we are still active with the Ameri- arab american friendship center um, so please uh... i guess keep those um, in your thoughts and and also uh... support those if you can and also encourage you just uh... as again if there are needs uh... one of the very first things that that the Christian Church did was to set up uh, mechanisms to take care for those, uh, to care of those who have needs. So, if you have needs, uh, please do talk to our deacons. Do not just, uh, um, I guess, suffer in silence. So, uh, let us uh, let, let us all love each other, both in uh, in giving and in receiving generosity. Uh, does anybody else have any announcements from the floor?
0: we'll let you know the Bible study Thursday night Bible study is starting up I put it in there what's the date September 15th 15th so it'll start up then on the 15th Um, we are working through Acts and and soon be going into the epistles I'm going to we're actually very hands on in there so we do outlines of the text everyone does their own and we share Um, I think it's been a good time and um, and then we get to the epistles there's something exciting I want to show everyone I hope I haven't played it up too much, so this, it's really not as exciting as I made it out. But it's a way of following the epistles and being able to read uh, in Paul's epistles, um, follow kind of what's going on there. And it's not hard, but it's you got to see it
2: to understand it.
0: So that's the plan. So please feel free to come and join us.
2: Fantastic. Anyone else? Uh, yes, I'm sorry. So uh, upcoming events in terms of the life together, there. Uh, I guess September is uh, is is full of things. So we do have the women's prayer meeting on September the 8th. Uh, we also have the Thursday night Bible study is starting up the following week on uh, Thursday the 15th. And um, and pastors very excited, enthusiastic about uh, about uh, some. Uh, things he can show you in terms of reading the uh, epistles. Um, And then Friday evening prayer will be the following week on September 23rd at the Hannams' house. And we have class today. After some time to fellowship and have a cup of coffee, which begins now.